Hi, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McClanahan, and in this episode, I'll be exploring the topic of social work with older people. The guests joining me today have all been involved in the Social Work with Older People research project led by the University of Birmingham and the University of Bristol. The project has sought to examine the role social workers play in supporting older people, carers and families to transform situations. It's also looked at the barriers which can impede the delivery of high quality and effective services. With me are one of the project's lead researchers, Dr Paul Willis from the University of Bristol, Nirgis Kapasi, a member of the project's expert advisory group, former social worker and someone who has lived experience as a carer, and Jerry Nosowska, director at Effective Practice, co-host of the Helpful Social Work podcast and former chair of Basra UK. Nirgis, Paul, Jerry, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you guys all doing? Nirgis, you first, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, uh, uh, Andy. I'm, I'm okay. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Uh, Nirgis, is this your first time on the podcast? This is the first time, yes. I'm a bit nervous as well, you know. So oh, you don't be nervous. <laughs> don't be nervous. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing from you and learning from your experience. Jerry, how are you doing? Welcome back to Let's Talk Social Work. Yeah, it's good to be back. And uh, we were just talking about the fact that I'm sitting on an electric blanket. So I'm very comfortable. Thank you. Good. I was telling Jerry that I have turned off my electric blanket for fear of overheating. And uh, as I as I engage in this conversation and get myself excited. Uh, Paul, how are you doing? Are you well? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Andy. It's good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Now, we have so much to talk about, so I'm going to dive straight in to our first question. Paul, uh, the research team has been really clear about the key question it wants to answer through the project. That question is, what difference can a social worker make to an older person's life? Now, I'll be honest, I was surprised that in 2023, that's not something that's already really clearly understood. Would it be fair to say that there is a bit of a lack of research in the area of social work with older people? Yeah, that is a fair comment, Andy. We do have uh, gaps in research about what social work of older people looks like. Uh, we have some exploratory research that's informed the development of this particular project, um, including a preliminary project that I led with my colleague Liz Lloyd at University of Bristol back in 2019. That was a very small scale study though, and we were focusing more on innovative forms of social work practice and social work services um, that involved social workers along with other professionals. And that was helpful along with other early research to give us a flavour of what social work of older people looks like. Uh, but one of the big gaps in the in this particular area is the voices of older people and their carers of family members who support older people. So that's what makes this particular project unique and builds on the um, other early research is that we've been able to capture voices of older people, carers and uh, family members, as well as the perspectives of voices of social workers and other professionals working alongside them. We're going to talk later on about ageism in social work with older people, but I'm just curious, Paul, is ageism a factor, do you think, in, in the fact that there is so little research that's been done in this area? Is it not seen as important as social work with younger people, with children and families? I think ageism is part of the problem. We know in social work that there historically has been a lack of equal attention given to social work of older people as there is given to social work of children and families. Sometimes social work of older people is perceived to be less complex, more straightforward, more based on common sense. Um, and having taught in this area for a long time and also been involved in research and written in this area before, it's really important to kind of debunk all those ideas. Um, and that's what we're trying to do for this project, to build up an evidence base so we can speak with more confidence and more strongly about uh, what social work of older people looks like, what some of the complexities might be, and to hopefully bring greater recognition for what those social workers do in that area and what some of the good outcomes are for older people. Great, Paul. I'm really looking forward to finding those out. But before we do, Jerry, I want to do some scene setting. Can we spend a few minutes outlining the current situation in relation to older people's social work? Even the term older people, do we have an agreed definition of what an older person is? Is there a sort of age threshold that you meet that you become an older person? In our research project, we've used 65 and above. And that's generally what local authorities in England use as the kind of threshold for moving into a dedicated team for older people if that's what they have 
often they don't have that and there's a generic adults team so social work with older people might be a um kind of area of work within a more generic adult service or it might be a team in its own right thanks uh, and in terms of the number of social workers who work with older people do we know in england how many there are yeah again it's quite difficult to unpick which social workers work with older people and which social workers work with adults in general. So we have really helpful information from Skills for Care every year on the workforce. Um, So last year, there were around 17,000 social workers working with adults in local authorities, plus another 4,000 in the NHS. And so we know know roughly, but as to how many of them are working with older people, how many are working with younger adults, let's say under 65s, it's not clear. The proportion of referrals is about... 1.4 1.4 million older people's referrals to about 600,000 um, younger adults. 1.4 million, did you say, referrals? Yeah, new contacts each year. Yeah. Yes, yes. And would each of those individuals, would they have an engagement with a social worker? So the number of referrals that there are coming into adult services, including those for older people, mean that most people won't see a social worker. Um, if they all could see a social worker, then each social worker would have to deal with around 90 requests, which is just impossible when you think about the fact that in children and family services, um, just doing the maths, there's around 20 referrals per social worker per year. So just on the basis of of sheer numbers, you're much less likely to see a social worker if you're an adult or an older person. You're probably going to see someone who may be very experienced and knowledgeable, but won't have the professional qualification. Thanks, Jerry. That's really helpful in terms of outlining the current scenario. Now, I want to move on to discuss the research. I mentioned at the start that you were seeking to address the question, what difference can a social worker make to an older person's life? You know, how did you conduct the research to find the answer to that question? Paul, what was your methodology? We've followed a qualitative design using mixed methods. So we've used a number of different qualitative methods to help us get as close as possible to the realities of day-to-day frontline practice, social work practice with older people. So the research methods we've adopted have helped us to be practice near um, as much as as we realistically can. And of course, where um, both the social workers and uh, the older person and, and their family members consent and, and agree to that and understand what that all involves. So our research took place across two councils, two local authorities, one in an urban area and one more rural. And the project has ethnographic elements, which means we've been able to combine interviews with a range of different groups, um, as well as some observations of social work practice. So again, this is helping us to get as close as possible to the realities of social work practice day to day. So we shadowed 10 social workers, five across each of those two local authorities that I mentioned, over a six month period. And this six-month intense period of field work with a researcher in each site helped us to really study in depth and detail uh, those social workers' practice. We've selected what we've called clusters. Uh, Clusters meaning older people who were currently receiving uh, support in relation to their care and support needs, as well as the people connected to them. So that could include carers, it could include a spouse or partner, other family members, other professionals, other social care practitioners. Say, for example, if they're in a care or nursing home, it could be the care home manager, other care staff involved with their care. So we have this uh, idea of clusters. We have 16 clusters in total, which includes 16 older people at the heart of the research. So the clusters centre on older people receiving support from a social worker, family carers and other professionals. Other professionals we um, were able to interview included nurses, occupational therapists, uh, care workers and managers. And so we've been able to observe what goes on, interview all those people involved, and also read and look over the records for those older people, um, where older people or their carers or their consultees have given their consent for this. So this includes uh, copies of the assessments and review reports um, in line with the CARE Act. And we interviewed 23 other professionals, practitioners and managers involved in the care and support for older people or managing those who do. So from this, we've been able to gather different perspectives and insights about what social work practice looks like and what kinds of contributions it makes to older people's uh, care and support needs and quality of life. 
So, Paul, that's incredibly in-depth. You were talking about ethnographic research. So you basically spent six months with mm. people, yeah. uh, spending time with them, observing. Um, and that gives you an incredible depth of information. But I suppose the question I have to ask off the back of that is, you know, we often are kind of people are more familiar with like survey research, quantitative research done across big, big sample populations. When you've done something as in-depth as this, but it's quite specific, can you extrapolate the findings across the profession or the risks in relation to that? It does come with some limitations. So it is a small sample compared to like a national survey of social workers or um, looking at a big population-wide data set that might be about older people more broadly. So it does limit the how generalized the findings can be to other settings, but it does mean we could still transfer some of the key learning and messages to similar contexts. Um, so similar contexts in terms of urban local authorities or rural local authorities that have similar population compositions in terms of older people and what their care and support needs and characteristics might be. So because of the depth, because of the detail, that does bring a good level of rigor. And through that, we can take some of the key messages away from this and use this to kind of feed into learning for other local authorities supporting older people and for other other areas such as social work education where we can be able to feed some of these messages into social work students learning about what good support looks like what good practice looks like when working with older people were there specific questions you were asking as part of the research well, we had the overarching research questions. Um, you touched on one before. Yeah. Um, and other questions that broader questions which informed the research design included how do older service users and carers experience social work? So that really centers in on the older person and their carers, a family member's perspective. How do social workers interact with other social care workers, professionals, and agencies? So that's where we bring in the professionals and practitioners from different backgrounds and settings. And how does the context impact on social work of older people and carers? And really everybody involved contributes to that. So that's where we might have had questions to social workers in interviews, like what are some of the day-to-day -day challenges and barriers they experience in providing support to older people? What are some of the things they might change in relation to their practice, in relation to the way their team or service works, in relation to um, the local authority and social care sector more broadly? Um, we've been able to ask older people um, or their carers or consultees their perspective on what they've appreciated or benefited from receiving social work support, um, whether they were aware of what kind of things social workers did prior to having contact with a social worker. That's been really interesting. Thanks, Paul. That's really helpful. And I do want to look at uh, a bit more depth later on that issue around what people's perceptions of social work are, because so often people have ideas of what social work is, and then when they engage with services, their their perceptions may change. But before we do that, Nirgis, I'm really keen to talk about the project's expert advisory group. You were part of that group. Can you tell me about the role that it played? Yeah, that's right, um, Andy. Um, I was quite um, uh, pleased that I actually became a part of this group. I think the members of the uh, expert advisory group came from the diverse backgrounds and with varying experiences of working with older people. Um, some of the members being older themselves, you know, so they could ex um, contribute from their personal experience and also the experience of caring for the, uh, the older people. Like myself, you know, I care for my mother who's actually 95 years old. Uh, the group ensured that older people were at the heart of the research. Uh, and the diversity and inclusion, which are the quite important aspects at the moment within the research project, were at the forefront. Uh, the emphasis is not too heavy on the processes. So just making sure that the systems that are going to be put in place for, for the research and the systems are actually quite transparent. The analysis framework is in a simple language and included the, free, uh, the feedback from older people. Uh, as they have a unique viewpoint, as they are experts in their own life. Uh, the, within the research, we also needed to consider whether the older people are being encouraged to give honest and constructive feedback on how they were supported by the social worker. Because I, in my opinion, as most older people are reluctant to give the feedback in fear of the neg uh, negative repercussions to the service they may receive, so I think it was quite important that, you know, the uh, advisory group were actually there uh, 
to uh, to to see how the research was carrying on and how the the the, the questions been asked and what kind of a questions been asked. That's really interesting, Nergis, and because. I want to look at a couple of issues there. Firstly, how important was it for you as a carer to ensure that older people were actually at the heart of the research? And secondly, how did you overcome that that concerns about fear uh, in relation to giving honest, open answers uh, to the research questions? So first of all, in terms of older people, how important was it that older people were at the, at the heart of the research? Yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, the, the older people, if the social worker needs to actually engage with them, and actually sort of, you know, treat them as, as a person, themselves value them. So at least they are, and, and, and remove that kind of a fear from them. There is a bit of a consistency there. Uh, and and so, as you know, that at the moment, because the demand is such a high, the social workers are not actually sort of, you know, the same person who's been involved with the older person. So that's very important to build a rapport with the person uh, with the older person so that they can actually sort of, you know, become quite fearless in terms of um, giving their experiences and then talking about, you know, how they, um, what, what kind of a services are needed and how, what, what, what difficulties they are finding in terms of sort of, you know, in a day-to-day living. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Just so I, just so I'm totally clear, Nirgis, the fear you were saying is an, is a general fear with older people receiving services about being open to the social worker rather than a fear of participating in the research. Have I understood you correctly? Uh, I think it's not about just the research. I think it's generally that when yes. the older people are actually receiving the services, there is a fear there that if they challenge or if they become uh, quite sort of, you know, not participate um, that, that the services may actually they receive them, it may get, a, you know, have an impact on them. Yes. And was so, that found to be widespread across the, the yes. participants in the research? Yeah. I do. I do. Yes. Having uh, worked with the older people myself and also now as a carer as well, you know, when I see when the social, because I, my, my mother actually does have a social work involvement and when they come, she's very reluctant and to actually say anything, even say a word. And, and she leads a lot of motivation, a lot of encouragement to actually say how she feels herself about the services. Yes, that's that's incredibly interesting as a finding. Um, Jerry, mm. in terms of the other sort of headline findings that were coming out of the research, can you give us the sort of broad brushstrokes? What were the, the key findings? Sure. So the, the interesting thing about the research was that because the researchers spent so long with people, they were able to really see what happened, you know, what, what happens on the ground and also to really hear from people um, about you know, firsthand about their experiences. Um, as Naga said, that did take quite a lot of rapport building to, to get to it. But what we found was um, the first thing we were looking at was what kind of capabilities are social workers using um, and how are they kind of practicing social work really. And really reassuringly, all of the areas of the professional capabilities framework that you'd hope to see came through. Um, and it was the kind of unique combination of those areas that really helped social workers um, to work well. So that's having a real commitment and grounding in ethics and upholding people's voices and their rights, um, being able to build sensitive relationships and communicate with people. And then having the kind of knowledge around the law and ageing and the practical know-how about what's out there uh, to actually be able to make good judgments um, and work with people on what might help them. And then being able to take a lead with other agencies and to kind of negotiate and coordinate and support families and networks around people to achieve outcomes. And we also we looked at the second area, which was around well-being and the impact of of what social workers were doing on well-being, and found that there there was a really strong link between what they were doing and the well-being outcomes that you'd hope to see in the Care Act, particularly around dignity and control, um, also around emotional well-being and physical well-being and kind of meeting needs, and and that's really what you'd what you'd hope to see that social workers. Work it, working and doing social work would lead to good outcomes for people. Um, but also we saw the detail and heard all the feedback on the way that social workers did it, which is really, really crucial. So it's it's not just that um, they talk to people and, and understand things and put things in place, but the, the kind of really expert level and in-depth skills that are needed to build that rapport and have that communication and get to know that person and then put something in that works for them. Um, but the way that it's done as well, having a real outcome in its own right, that it, it brings about this 
reassurance and therapeutic support and um, dignified way of approaching the person's needs that really enhances well-being. Uh, and I think that's a really important finding that the the therapeutic kind of component of social work and the way in which social work is done is really crucial. And of course, we found uh, that it's not perfect. You know, um, there were definitely experiences that older people and carers and families had of delay or of services not being in place or of not really knowing what's happening or not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, and some of that was definitely down to the context, which was the third area that we looked at. It's a very complex, tricky and kind of not well understood system. And there's definitely issues around getting resources, uh, definitely issues around social workers' time and how they can work with other professionals and, and kind of navigate clunky processes and systems. Um, but again, kind of going back to sort of full circle to the capabilities, experienced social workers who were using their professional judgment and all and you drawing on all of those skills and knowledge and ethics could be quite creative and resourceful around how they got around some of those issues. Sometimes they went slightly outside of systems. Sometimes they took on a situation and ran with it, even if it wasn't strictly speaking their role to do that. Um, they would adapt forms to make them more person-centered. And all of that goes back to really trying to hold the person's kind of dignity and well-being at the centre of what they were doing. Jerry, at the start of your answer, near the start of your answer, you mentioned commitment to ethics, but also the the central importance of relationships. And I'm just, just thinking back to what Nirgis was saying about trust, you know, older people being able to trust their social worker. I mean, having that sense of trust requires time to be able to be spent, you know, getting to know each other. Um, and often it's that time that is uh, so so scarce um, when services are being provided. So following on from that, you know, there was a really great quote in the research um, and it was from a hospital nurse mm -hmm. uh, and it stresses the importance of the role the social worker plays as an advocate. Um, and uh, Paul, my perception is that one of the key ways that the social work role differs from many other professionals who provide services is that role as an advocate, speaking up on behalf of the service user um, being their voice, amplifying their voice. So with that in mind, um, I'd be keen to know about your thoughts on that role in terms of the value of that role as an advocate and that a social worker plays with older people. Yeah, advocacy is most definitely a core social work role across different fields of practice. And our findings certainly speak to its importance here in the social work of older people. So across the findings, um, we saw and heard lots of incidences where social workers were advocating for older people's rights and recognition, dignity and respect and, and autonomy. So this could have happened across multidisciplinary meetings with other professionals across health and social care. Um, it could happen in settings when sorting out long-term care arrangements for older people, uh, for example, transitions into care or nursing homes, or when helping older people to access benefits that they're entitled to, and just needing that um, additional guidance as well as that additional voice to um, help them access the, uh, those really important entitlements. So alongside this, social workers need skills in being assertive and being able to challenge the views of others. And sometimes that includes challenging the views of other professionals. Um, and again, we saw lots of really good examples of that in a very professional, um, very professional and uh, respectful way, but also still being prepared to challenge the views of others where they where they feel that those views may get in the way of the recognition of older people's rights or may in some ways compromise older people's wishes or autonomy. And the other key part of being a good advocate that we saw through the findings was that knowledge of social care law. Having that legal literacy is really important and that's integral to being able to be a good advocate. Um, and we heard from other professionals, people who weren't social workers, uh, so people in nursing or occupational therapy, they told us how much they valued that the legal knowledge and insight from their social work colleagues, particularly around older people's rights under the Care Act and under the Mental Capacity Act. So just to plumb that a little bit more, Paul, um, the importance of legal literacy, that was something that was that was coming out of the research. Just to be clear, are you highlighting that 
adult services, sorry, older people services, social workers tend to have high levels of legal literacy or is it an area where you recognise its importance but it needs to actually be improved on? I think there's always room for improvement, but undoubtedly it's a key knowledge area in relation to social care law that social workers bring to the support of older people and it's perspective that their colleagues, other professionals really value. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nirgis, we were talking earlier on about the sort of the hidden nature of social work, you know, so that um, a social worker's role may not be well understood by um, an older person until they actually come into contact with services. In terms of the research, is that something that emerged in terms of a lack of understanding from the older people's perspective about what a social worker could do to help them? Um, that's right, um, Andy. I think uh, I that there is a generally, I feel that there is a lack of understanding about what actually the social workers do, particularly by the older people. They don't know what the social worker is and how the social workers can actually help them until they come to a crisis level, uh, where, whereby you know either they actually get, get admitted to the hospital and then from the hospital they are put in touch with the social work social workers who actually come out and sort of you know do their sort of, you know, carry out the assessment and then and, and try and provide the care that they need, you know. So there is generally, yes, there is a lack of understanding. And I think by this research, hopefully they would be able to sort of, you know, share this, uh, the, the, the findings of the research and maybe the people get to know more about sort of what the social worker is, you know, social work is about and how the social workers can help the older people. Yeah, I'm very conscious that learning about a role in a crisis is not the ideal time to be doing that. You know, when people are stressed out, um, it can be harder to take in information. It can be harder to make really clear decisions. Um, Paul, I'm keen to know what the research is saying in terms of how um, that the, the understandings um, of the role of social workers can be improved in general amongst uh, older people so that we don't reach a crisis situation where there's a lack of understanding of the role. Is that something that was identified? Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting features in our findings that older people and their carers spoke about not knowing what social workers do prior to their contact with a social worker, or worse, holding very negative views about what social workers as professionals do. So kind of more wider, stereotypical views um, that you know, social workers are the people who disrupt and break up families. But some of those kind of wider um stereotypes and messages that might be heightened by wider public and media perception about social work. So that does bring an additional challenge for social workers in first contact with older people and their family members, because they not only have to get across what their role looks like, and it's a very complex role, um, a many tentacled role, but also perhaps unpick some of those uh, unhelpful negative perceptions that um, some older people and family members might hold about social workers. Yes, many so, tentacled sounds a bit sinister in itself though, Paul. I don't know if that's what I would go with if I was describing. Okay. Sounds kind of monstrous, well, yes. Yeah, you know. This is true, this is true. It's perhaps not a very helpful metaphor. <laughs> many roles, many roles involved. Yes, multifaceted. Uh, Sorry, multifaceted, multifaceted. Yeah. that's a much more, that's a much prettier term. Yes. Um, thank you. Um, now, Nirgis, we were chatting earlier on about ageism and the impacts that can have. Now, I'm aware that the use of language was an issue that the expert advisory group spent time considering and highlighted language which could be interpreted as depersonalising. Uh, can you give us some examples of that language, Nargis? This is something we've spoken about on the podcast many times in relation to many different issues. I think, you know, correct terminology and sensitive language is so important. So how did this uh, come up in the research? I think uh, the, the the language issue came up whereby the older persons, you know, if the English is not actually their first language, and are the sort of social workers using the interpreters, or are they actually sort of um, having an independent advocacy uh, used, or are they just using the family members translating on their behalf? So I think from my personal experience and working with older pe- uh, older people, where the family members are being used not by myself directly, but many other professionals I have been involved in a multidisciplinary assessments whereby other professionals have actually sort of, you know, uh, used the family members. And because I'm actually bilingual and what I can understand from the different languages, uh, what the older people were actually saying were not actually translated 
exactly as it is what they were trying to say. And the information that captured by the other professionals was not always 100% accurate. And that's why the, the language is, is one of the particular, my sort of, you know, it's close to my heart in terms of, you know, uh, undertaking the assessment that there is a direct communications with the person you are actually assessing. So is this 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 question your answer is is more about uh, translation and understanding language? I, my perception was it would be also issues around language which could be considered patronizing or um, disempowering for older people. Is that an issue that came up? Yeah, at times it can be actually patronizing, and the family members sometimes, obviously, they when they are translating the older people's, you know, uh, the the wishes. The way they are doing it, maybe it is for not for the interest of the older person, it is for the interest of the family you're looking after, that person. And sometimes the older people's views are taken out of context by the family members, which I have had a personal experience of. And in some cases, the older people are not even offered the independent advocacy and the translation, and it is assumed that the family members will ad- uh, advocate and speak on their behalf. So again, that comes to down, boils down to the resources as well sometimes, because obviously having an interpreter, a professional, and, and a professional translator can actually cost uh, a, a, a heavy kind of uh, on, on the resources. Yes. And again, out of fear, older people are reluctant to speak up when the family members are present. So there are a combination of, you know, the, the, the reasons why this actually completely go against the older person when the family uh, members are being used as a translator or the interpreters. Thank you, Nirgis. Um, staying with the issue of ageism, um, I'd be keen to know, Paul and Jerry, just examples of how ageism uh, manifests it was identified by the research and and the extent to which ageism can play into a lack of resources for social care um is that something that was kind of front and center yeah i mean i think what nargis was talking about around her personal experience of um older people's voices not being heard is is something that we came through in the research as well um and that's where there's there's this really fundamental role of a social worker making sure that the older person is involved and listened to and that their wishes are right at the centre. And uh, that's particularly a problem when um, when you think about the potential implications of, of ageing. So there is there is ageism, um, which affects how people are perceived and how important their view is, is um, considered to be. There's also the, the kind of length of the life course, which means that um, any kind of experiences of discrimination that have happened through the life course kind of get compounded by the time you get to be an older person. So you might be experiencing multiple kind of um, historical legacies of discrimination, um, along with now being an older person as well. Um, And there can be very kind of complex needs um, and overlapping needs that arise at that time. So I think the examples that we saw in the research would be things like discussions about what should happen with an older person that was ha- that were happening more with the family or more amongst professionals than were happening with the person themselves and the social worker's role then is stepping into either that multi-agency discussion or into the family discussions and making sure that the older person's um, wishes were really known sometimes making sure the older person was physically present um, making sure that they're the, the appropriate communication aids and the appropriate kind of way of communicating with that person happened um, and also trying to resolve some of those pressures that can kind of get put on older people to be uh, be kind of compliant. I'm not sure if that's exactly the right word, but go along with what other people want. Um, so maybe the family thinks that it's the best interest of that person to go into a care home, but actually it's not what they want um, and to stand up for that. Or it might be easier for the services, um, say a hospital, if the person goes into a care home from hospital straight away but they really want to go home so we've got examples of social workers kind of really standing up for people in those situations um, and and picking up when somebody who's older is saying I don't really need anything I'm fine because sometimes that's about um, again an imp- a kind of consequence of ageism that people don't feel like they can ask for what they need and they don't necessarily ask for their rights and their entitlements they they may feel like they need to just make do and get on with it and when we're thinking about those power dynamics within social work relationships Jerry, are there any specific pieces of legislation that need to be taken into consideration 
Yeah, absolutely. All of it. <laughs> the law is, <laughs> okay. is what people's rights are. Um, but the fundamental things are the CARE Act, which sets out your right to an assessment and your right to um, have eligible needs met and the right for carers. Uh, because, you know, many, many older people have older people who are carers. Um, right for carers to have that assessment and to be um, for it to be understood what they're willing and able to do and to have support when they require it. Um, the other really key thing um, within the Care Act is safeguarding. So making an inquiry if somebody is, is at risk of um, abuse or neglect um, and picking up on that and doing something about that um, and the right to advocacy that comes within the Care Act. Um, and the other core thing, of course, that we have to think about with adults is the Mental Capacity Act. And that does come into play. In fact, many of the situations um, of the, the situations that we looked at in the research um, involve people who... Um, where there was some doubt about how much capacity they had to make a decision. And in some cases, they weren't able to make that decision themselves and it needed to be made in their best interests. And again, that that legislation protects people's right to um, have their wishes heard and respected and acted on as far as possible. And how, how frequently did those capacity issues come up in the research? Was that something that was very significant? Yeah, it was quite common. Um, I mean, if you bear, bear in mind that the population of over 65s is from 65 through to 114 or whatever the oldest age group is at the moment, um, it's a very big spectrum of people. Some people had a fair amount of capability and capacity um, and some people didn't. We had a number of people who were living with dementia, a number of people who experienced mental health problems. Um, and, and you have to add into it as well, of course, the fact that very often, if I think probably in every situation, the people that social workers were working with were quite overwhelmed. So one of the core tasks of the social worker, one of the things that they really clearly showed that they did in this research is to unpick what's the communication issue? What's the person who's overwhelmed and, and stressed and struggling to understand? What's somebody who maybe has a cognitive um, impairment of some sort? And how can we make sure that we approach this person in the best possible way to really understand what matters to them and for them to be able to communicate what's important? And it's really, really skilled work. Absolutely. Um, Paul, I just want to come back to something you mentioned earlier on, because I was asking questions about power dynamics, but this is shifting it to another area. In terms of uh, working with other professions, is there ever a hierarchy perceived or real or otherwise between social workers and perhaps other professionals? I'm thinking about medic professionals. You know, medics are often held up as kind of the ultimate authority on things. Uh, and in social workers acting as advocates and having to challenge um, perspectives of other professionals, was that something that, that came out as an issue? It did. It did. And in many ways, we could kind of anticipate it. So as part of the context of our findings, um, some of our participating social workers talked about the challenges of that pro professional hierarchy that can be present, um, particularly in relation to hospital and, and medical settings, where people in, in medical roles uh, in, as, as medical professionals or healthcare professionals are seen to hold more kind of uh, expert views uh, um, and more authority in relation to care. But to counteract that, we also heard lots of really great examples where other professionals, including medical professionals, really appreciated being challenged by their social work colleagues. Uh, they enjoyed that opportunity to learn from each other and to have really fruitful discussions um, that sometimes might get a little bit heated, uh, but where people are, it's a safe space for people to share different professional views, um, where everybody's on the same page in terms of wanting to get the best outcomes for older people. Thank you, Paul. And Nirgis, I want to explore this issue. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but it's about agency in terms of decision making and the emotional impact on an older person who feels that they're losing control over the decisions uh, that are affecting them. So, for example, I imagine a fairly common example, an older person who has to move into a residential care home because of deteriorating health. Uh, Nirgis, can you tell me about the role a social worker plays in ensuring that an older person's wishes are kept at the centre of the decisions that affect them? Yeah, I think the social workers, particularly, I'm just going to talk about from the the, the cultural point of view and from uh, the ethnicity for, for the minority people who actually sort of look after their own people. You know, the older um, the, the the older adults within their own home, 
uh, and the social worker who are actually sort of um, when when they are actually intervening into those uh, kind of a cases, they they obviously um, undertake the kind of a risk assessment and they try to actually sort of you know manage the risks uh, being at home with the person or whether actually being taken out of and moving uh, moved into the care home. And I think from my personal experience, again. I think it's 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 uh, it's quite a challenging issue for the social workers to actually advocate on behalf of the people from these minority groups and making sure that the, the they are actually taking the decisions in the best interest because otherwise I have seen quite a few uh, the older people having been moved out of their home uh, against their wishes it's just because the social workers haven't been strong enough to actually challenge the the medical sort of in the professionals and and then they moved and they haven't actually lasted for very long as soon as they have been moved within sort of you know a, a span of few days and few months they have actually gone and and they've passed away so i think it's it's, it's quite important that this is something the social workers will actually stand up for for the service users and keep the the best interest of the service users from the point of view of their sort of you know the the, the culture and and the background they're coming from and and of course that also applies to the genetic older people as well you know because most of the time the person who are, the older person who has actually lived in in their own homes that their, their main sort of you know obviously they the the wish would be actually staying in their own homes until sort of you know in in the last and until their sort of you know the life uh, is is gone um and and the social worker it's 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 a presenting quite a big challenge Absolutely. Thank you, Nirgis, for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, Jerry, another issue that is something that listeners will probably be quite familiar with in terms of at least media coverage is the problems associated with delays in discharging patients from hospital. You know, that be a situation where there's an older person who might be medically well, but they don't have the social care support in the community to enable them to return home. And what gets often focused on is the cost to the NHS concerning these delays. But I really want to know about the impacts for older people and their families um, and how they're affected and the role that social workers play in that process. So some of the social workers that we followed in this research worked in hospital discharge teams, uh, which was really, um, again, it was really insightful because you got to see exactly what they were doing and what they were doing day to day and um, and the impact that that was having on older people and carers who were in these situations. And the the major thing, I think, for the older people and carers was that they just weren't sure what was supposed to happen and what was going to happen next. Um, and if there was a delay or there was um, kind of lack of information or lack of understanding of what was going on, that was um, very stressful for the for the carers and family. Must be absolutely terrifying. People. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if there was a particular wish for for an outcome, like for example, to get back home um, or to go to a particular placement, and it wasn't clear whether that was going to be possible because of potentially resource issues or um, funding discussions, that was also um, stressing people. Uh, so I think the the impact really is is it's an impact on well-being, isn't it? It's the uncertainty. Um, obviously, it's not good for people to be stuck in in an acute hospital environment when they 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 could and should be in another environment. Um, and the the way that social workers were were helpful in those situations was partly about helping to achieve the outcome, you know, working towards a safe plan and, and a plan that would work for that person and that what they were okay with and that would be in their interests um, but also keeping in touch and providing information and advice and reassurance along the way and, and that's quite a hidden impact of social work because we very often see the work that social workers do um, to accomplish outcomes or to um, achieve a change of some sort but all the reassurance and therapeutic work that goes along through the process that's not necessarily captured um, you might get the old case note that says I spoke with this person or I spoke with that person but the real detail and skill of that isn't seen um, but we have observations for example of a social worker being in a hospital talking to um, a ward manager about a particular situation and someone coming in who was a relative of another person um, and the ward manager saying oh this person is, is a bit worried about what's going to happen next and the social worker going and sitting down with them and being observed talking them through you know how it works in hospital and what will happen next what 
you know, how long it could take, um, how they would then be, be a point of contact and you know, be alongside them through that process. And what the researchers observed was the change in that person's emotional kind of state, really. Um, this is a carer, but they were also an older person in their own right. That that change from real worry and uncertainty into at least I've got somebody I can turn to now and somebody who will help me through this. And I think that's a really crucial um, part of social work, isn't it? It's being alongside people who are going through these difficult experiences and processes. And Jerry, you were intimating that that is a sort of misunderstood role or an overlooked role. I mean, I suppose the question I want to ask is, does social work with older people have sufficient prominence in wider discussions about social care provision? And I'm guessing the answer is probably no. I don't think it does. Um, and I, I think this research bears that out, actually. Um, the One of the recommendations that we would make from this is for social work to be much more visible in discussions about social care. And for social care with social work to be much more um, at the heart of discussions about health. And there's a slight movement towards that, particularly around health, recognising how important social care is. There was was some research last year that said that the majority of of hospital um, clinicians felt that the best thing to do to, to support hospital discharge was to put money into social care. So there is a real awareness of, of how important social care is. But I think most people don't know the unique role that social workers have and the unique combination of skills that and expertise that they bring to social care. Um, and what that means, of course, is that social workers aren't necessarily going to be deployed and supported in the best possible way to provide the impact that they can. So social work to be more prominent in discussions about social care and social care to be more prominent in discussions about health, Jerry. to sum that up. What else, what other recommendations uh, are coming out from the research strongly? And there's a fundamental issue about ageism in the allocation of resources for social care. Uh, I mean, there's not enough resource for social care anyway, uh, but older adults have less resource. Um, and there's the our research shows that there's big gaps in social care services and there's a gap in the workforce as well. Um, social workers, um, there's, the, there's a vacancy rate of around um, 9%, I think. So that's that's a problem. Um, and it's part of a bigger, bigger picture of, of pressures on social care. Um, I think the, the that's that's a huge thing to work towards the kind of more um, immediate things are around making sure that social workers are deployed where they can be most helpful so that's in situations of crisis or change or potentially conflict high risk issues where people have got capacity um sorry it, places where situations where people have got questions about their capacity to make a decision and they need support um or where there's kind of a real need for that legal knowledge um there's barriers that can be overcome that get in the way of social work being as effective and efficient as it can be. Um, Some of them fairly well rehearsed, but again, because we've seen the detail of it, we can see that there are this many forms that social workers had to fill out on this issue. There are these situations where social workers can't get into health records that they need to see. Social workers don't have somewhere to sit in a care home to write up their notes. Um, You know, those kind of barriers to good work could certainly be, um, be addressed. And and then there's also the way that we support social workers and grow the workforce for the future. I think social workers demonstrated in this research really amazing peer support and some examples of very good professional management and supervisory support. And we'd want to see that for everyone. Uh, mentoring for people going into this area of social work um, from people who got experience in it, supervision from a social worker who knows about social work with older people and opportunities to develop that kind of specific knowledge and those specific capabilities that you need. Um, and that means that ideally that would start in social work education. Um, when I did my social work training, there was very little on older people and we we know that that's still the case. That was 20 years ago, but it's still the same. You might get one module on the life course and we'd really like to see part of the um, the generic social work education being dedicated to social work with older people. Um, and that could just be a, a, sh- a short 
part of a module um, and there's there's things that we're bringing from this research that could absolutely help with that. And, and just coming back, Jerry, about making links between those recommendations, I mean, addressing the ageism and resourcing issues has got to be vital because you're talking about also, you know, placing older people's social workers where they're most needed, so crisis situations. But then that's the kind of age-old problem where your preventative and early intervention work uh, is de-resourced because you're putting social workers to where they're most needed, where the crisis is. So being adequately resourced to be able to intervene early as well to prevent problems becoming crisis has got to be vital, uh, I'm guessing. Yes, the research did certainly indicate that as well as responding to those complex situations, it's really valuable to have social workers available to provide good advice and information early on when people are starting to engage with social care. Uh, And that's something that we'd really like local authorities and NHS colleagues to consider. Are there social workers available to advise people, say, at the first point of contact? But more than that, you're taking a step even further back than that, understanding what social care is and how it works and how it fits with health and understanding what a social worker can offer and when you need to ask for one would be a really empowering step for older people and carers. Um, So if we had good information for the public and if our NHS colleagues really understood social work and if we were able to advocate for social work ourselves as social workers um, so that so that people knew when to ask for it that would that would be great. We we will be um, we will be producing some information about what a social worker does and what the role involves, which we hope will be helpful towards that. Um, but just from a kind of personal point of view, I would really want to think that if my, one of my parents, for example, um, faced a situation where they might need social care, that if if they needed to, they could ask for a social worker and, and speak to one. So I've learned an awful lot. This has been really fascinating. We could go on and on, but I'm going to have to call time. But before we do, I want to give everyone one last opportunity to share. And what I want to ask is if you had one takeaway message for people listening to this discussion, if they only heard this part of the conversation, what would you want them to take away? Nirgis, can I ask you first? All I can say is value the old person and also make them feel being wanted. And uh, they are fully involved if they do actually ask for a social work assessment, that they are fully involved in the care planning. Thank you. Paul? Uh, Andy, my final message would be that social work of older people is an emotionally demanding and challenging role, but it's also a very rich and highly rewarding role, and therefore it deserves much greater attention and recognition. Thank you, Paul. And Jerry, last word. Yeah, I build on that to say, both of those things to say, social work with older people, don't underestimate it. It's it's much more difficult than you might think. It's much more um, therefore interesting and um, wonderful than you might think. And I'd really encourage people who are thinking about being social workers or social work students or wherever you are in your career to be thinking about maybe this might be an area that you'd want to work in. Jerry, Nirgis, Paul, thanks so much. Thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Andy.